If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Our Glorious Inheritance. So what is the purpose of the nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12.7 states, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. They are given by God to bless the entire church of the Lord Jesus Christ and serves as confirmation to the lost when they hear the gospel. 1 Corinthians 14.1 states, follow the way of love, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We are told to ask God to manifest himself along these lines for his glory and to bless humanity. The Word of Knowledge It is important to note that this manifestation of the Holy Spirit is called the Word of Knowledge. In the King James Version translation of the Bible, not the gift of knowledge. The Word of Knowledge is the supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit of certain facts in the mind of God. God is omniscient, and he knows everything. Fortunately for us, he does not reveal everything he knows to mankind. He gives us just a word, or a part of what he knows. A word is a fragmentary part of a sentence. So a word of knowledge is simply a fragmentary part of knowledge, just that part which he wants us to know. Therefore, this supernatural manifestation of knowledge given by the Holy Spirit from God has nothing to do with academics, someone's IQ, experience, or studying the Bible a lot. This is a divine revelation of things not known to the individual concerning past and present things. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 However, as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. 
For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, the word of knowledge can be manifested through visions. For example, Ananias and Saul. It was revealed to Ananias that a man named Saul was expecting a visit from himself. The Lord revealed this revelation knowledge to a regular believer. He wasn't an apostle from what we see in Scripture. The Lord will use anyone in the body of Christ as he chooses. In this vision, the Lord told Ananias to go to a certain house and pray for a man named Saul. Now at the same time, the Lord also appeared to Saul in a like vision, showing Saul that Ananias was coming to pray for him, that he might receive his sight. Ananias could not have known in the natural that in a certain house on a certain street, a man named Saul was praying at that very moment. He could not have known this any other way than by supernatural revelation. This was a manifestation of the word of knowledge. Acts 9 verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Street Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Here's another example, Peter and Cornelius. Here again, the word of knowledge was manifested through a vision. Peter had fallen into a trance and saw a vision. While he was thinking about what it meant, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men seek you. Peter did not know that the men were there. He had no way of knowing who they were, except that the Spirit of God told him that was an example of a word of knowledge in manifestation. Let's read that account in Acts chapter 10, verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so go up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now here's an example of a word of knowledge manifested by an inward revelation. The woman of Samaria and Jesus. Sometimes the word of knowledge comes by an inward revelation. When Jesus dealt with the woman at the well in Samaria, he used the word of knowledge to convince her, a sinner, of her need for a savior. Jesus knew by an inward revelation personal facts about the woman's life revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Through the operation of the word of knowledge, Jesus used this manifestation of the Holy Spirit to point this woman to salvation. John 4.15 The woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? 
Here are some Old Testament examples. Elijah and Jezebel. We all know the famous story of how God revealed to Israel that he was the one true God on Mount Carmel. Unfortunately, Elijah became spooked by the death threat made by Jezebel and ran for his life into the desert. There he had a little pity party, like we all are guilty of having now and again. However, God had some inside information that he gave Elijah, resulting in a new perspective. Elijah could not have known that he was not alone any other way. 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 4 and verse 14 and 18. Elijah went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors, he replied. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and have put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. How about Elisha and Gehazi? After Naaman was healed of leprosy, he wanted to give the prophet Elisha changes of raiment, silver, gold, and other gifts to express his gratitude. Elisha, however, refused the gifts. But Elisha's servant Gehazi ran after Naaman and lied to him that Elisha had changed his mind. Naaman was so thrilled to be healed that he gave Gehazi twice as much as he asked for. The Gehazi hid the gifts because he was a thief as well as a liar. When Gehazi returned and Elisha asked him where he had been, he said, Nowhere, master. 2 Kings 5.25 Then he went in and stood before his master Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men's servants and maidservants? So how could Elisha, sitting in his own house, know what was going on several miles away? God revealed it to him through a word of knowledge. Here's another example, warning of enemy movements. Every time Syria set up an ambush against Israel, the prophet of God revealed their plans to the king of Israel. Finally, the king of Syria called his cabinet together and said, There must be a traitor among us. Who is giving us away? The king's servants replied, No, there is no traitor among us. A prophet of God in Israel tells the kings of Israel what you speak in your bedchamber. Through a word of knowledge, supernatural revelation was revealed to Elisha to warn the king of Israel of the enemy's plans. 2 Kings 6.9 The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Armenians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. The word of knowledge can be manifested in a number of different ways. It may come through tongues and interpretation, through the gift of prophecy, or an angel may come to deliver a word of knowledge. God has many ways of doing things. Often these gifts operate together. We can separate them in order to define them. The word of knowledge reveals facts concerning present and past events. 
The word of knowledge can also be used to reveal sickness and demon possession. Remember that the revelation the word of knowledge brings is never about the future. The word of knowledge brings revelation concerning the things past or present. The word of wisdom, on the other hand, brings revelation pointing to the future, including the plan and purposes of God. Remember to always judge all spiritual gifts in light of the scriptures. The word of wisdom is a supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God concerning the divine purpose in the mind and will of God. Like the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom must not be confused with natural wisdom that an individual acquires by experience, nor is it the gift of wisdom that a believer can operate in continually. The word of wisdom according to the Bible is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit as He wills, not as we will. God has all wisdom and all knowledge. He knows everything about everything, but He never reveals to anybody everything that He knows. He just gives them a word of what He knows. A word is a fragmentary part of a sentence, and so it is with wisdom. For example, if you needed legal advice, you would call a lawyer, but the lawyer would not give you all the legal wisdom he or she has because you would not need all of it. They would just give you a part or a word of legal wisdom that fits your particular case. The difference between the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom is this. The word of knowledge always brings revelation knowledge that deals with present or past information. On the other hand, the word of wisdom always deals with the future events that have not occurred yet. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge often work together. In teaching about them, we usually divide these two gifts and deal with them separately. However, they frequently operate together. For example, when Jesus had appeared to the Apostle John while he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos, the Lord had appeared to him in a vision. Jesus told him about the spiritual condition of the seven churches in Asia Minor at that time. The revelation given to him concerning the present condition of the churches was a manifestation of the word of knowledge. Then the Lord went on to give John a word of wisdom. Jesus foretold of the events that would transpire during the dispensation of the Age of Grace, and then during Daniel's last 70th week, the second advent, the millennium, and finally the new heaven and the new earth. This is all recorded in the book of Revelation. Now another example of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom working together was the instance when the Lord had appeared to Ananias and was told where he could find Saul, and that Saul had been praying and had seen a vision. The Lord even told him the very house and the very person to go visit. These were all present facts, but a future revelation was also given to Ananias in the form of a word of wisdom because it revealed God's plan and purpose. Acts 9.15 But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument, to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So here, Jesus was speaking of the future. Unfortunately, the word of wisdom is often confused with simple, natural wisdom used in dealing with the affairs of life. Wisdom that applies knowledge with understanding and sound judgment certainly comes from God according to James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. That is how Solomon received his wisdom. He had asked God for it. Second Chronicles 1.10 Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? As we study and meditate on the Bible, we will gain wisdom. One translation of the Bible puts Joshua 1.8 as, 
you will make yourself prosperous and you will be able to deal wisely in the affairs of life. This general wisdom is available to every believer who asks God for it. Notice in James, it says, if any of you. Yet the Holy Spirit through Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, now to each one, that is the one that God selects at the time. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Spiritual gifts are manifested as God wills through those he chooses. We can only eagerly desire and pray that God would manifest himself according to the need and the occasion. According to the context of the scripture that we just stated, it said, do all speak in tongues, is referring to one of the nine manifestations of the spirit, not the devotional gift that every spirit-filled believer has to speak in other tongues as they will. As wonderful as the nine manifestations of the Spirit are, the believer always has the keys to the kingdom, precious promises, and faith in God's Word at their disposal to operate in and as often as they want. Ultimately, we are called to live by faith, but sometimes we need a little help from our wonderful friend, the Holy Spirit, to manifest in power beyond our own measure of faith. The Word of Wisdom may come in many forms. The word of wisdom, like the word of knowledge, may be given by an audible voice, a vision, or in the form of a dream. It may come through the vocal gift of prophecy, or through tongues and interpretation. In the Old Testament, Joseph received a word of wisdom through a dream which revealed God's plan and purpose for the future. Moses received the revelation of the law through an audible voice as God gave it to him. The law concerned God's purpose for Israel. Therefore, it had to be the word of wisdom which was in manifestation. This was also true of the prophets of the Old Covenant who prophesied many things concerning Israel's future, the New Covenant, the coming Messiah, and even events yet to be fulfilled. They communicated it through the vehicle of prophecy, but the content of the message was actually a word of wisdom that they had received. Throughout the Old Testament, as the prophets would prophesy, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge would flow together. In the New Testament, we see the same thing in operation. Acts 11.28 One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. They did this by sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Agabus prophesied that a drought was coming, and the people believed him because he was a man of God, a man of integrity, that had a proven ministry. We can't believe everything that everyone says. We must exercise some discretion in order to judge things in line with God's word. When Agabus prophesied about the drought, the people immediately began to prepare by raising relief for the victims of the drought. We again read of the prophet Agabus in 21st chapter of Acts. Paul and his company, including Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, were at Philip's house. Acts 21.10 After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt 
tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Notice that something was revealed. When any revelation comes, it's always either a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, or discerning of spirits. Because these are the only three manifestations of revelation. No others are listed in the Bible. The revelation concerning Paul in Acts 21 verse 10 and 11 was not a word of knowledge because it dealt with the future. Knowledge encompasses past and present facts and events given to us through the Holy Spirit. A word of wisdom is revelation of the future given to us through the Holy Spirit. God in his divine wisdom knows all about the future. Then Luke went on to say in Acts 21 verse 12, When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. After Luke said in verse 14, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. This was a revelation of the will of God, which was to come to pass in the future. Therefore, it was a word of wisdom, and it did come to pass. The word of wisdom is also used for ministry opportunities. Sometimes there will be individuals who are ready for salvation and so God will arrange a rendezvous between a believer and an unbeliever. As I already stated, the message may be delivered to the believer in many forms, a dream, a vision, audible voice, an angel, an inward revelation, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, etc. For example, after Philip had a revival in Samaria, where many were saved, the Lord sent an angel with certain instructions for him in Acts 8.26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met a Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. God revealed his plan and purpose to Philip through an angel's message. In this message, God directed Philip as to what to do, just as anyone might be led by the Holy Spirit. So in the message, God told him to go to the desert, and Philip had to go by faith. The angel's message was a revelation which revealed something about God's purpose and plan, not the whole of God's plan, but just a part of it, just a word. Therefore, this was a word of wisdom and operation. God will even appear to an unbeliever who is seeking after him. Remember the promise that Jesus made in Matthew 5, 6? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When a sinner seeks God, God will move heaven and earth to get a Christian to preach the gospel to him or her. As in the case of Cornelius the Roman centurion, we see in Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoke to him had gone, 
Cornelius has called two of his servants and a devout soldier who is one of his attendants. The word of wisdom can also be conditional. There are some instances in the Old Testament when the prophet received a word from God which did not come to pass. Some things are conditional. In the case of King Hezekiah, God told Isaiah to give him a word of wisdom concerning the future, the plan and purpose of God under the present conditions. 2 Kings 20 verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, Put your house in order, because you are going to die, you will not recover. Isaiah delivered the message and started to leave the palace. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, repented of his wrongdoings, cried and prayed to God, and reminded him that he had walked with God and kept his commandments in times past. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah before he even got out of the courtyard, instructing him to go back and give Hezekiah another word of wisdom. It was a word of wisdom because it concerned the future. 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 5 Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add fifteen years to your life, and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. It was not God's will for King Hezekiah to die in the first place. God was just informing him of the impending end due to his own self-destructive behavior. God was wanting to heal the king all along, but needed him to repent first so that the wages of sin would not have taken its toll and taken his life. God also spoke to the prophet Jonah and gave him a word of wisdom that Nineveh was going to be destroyed. It was a word of wisdom because it concerned the plan and purpose of God for the future. Jonah did not care if Nineveh was destroyed or not. He did not want to go and warn the enemies of Israel. God dealt with him, however, until he was obedient to go and preach to the people of Nineveh, warning them of impending judgment if they did not turn to God. Fortunately, they repented and judgment did not fall on them in that generation, although it came eventually. The word of wisdom is also given to assure of a coming deliverance in a time of calamity. When Paul was on board a ship en route to Rome to appeal his case to Caesar, a violent storm arose. Paul had a word of wisdom for his fellow passengers even before they had set sailed. Acts 27.10 Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. Since the south wind was blowing softly, they disregarded Paul's warning and set sail anyways. If they had only listened to Paul, they would not have lost their ship and all their merchandise. As a result of failing to heed his warning, they ended up throwing everything overboard until all hope was gone. However, in the midst of such calamity, Paul stepped forward and encouraged the men with a message of hope for the future. Acts 27.23 Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Even with that message, the promise was still conditional and further instructions had to be given and obeyed. In Acts 27 verse 30 we see, In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, 
Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last fourteen days, he said, You have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you all to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Thank God that the manifestations of the Spirit are still in operation, because the church needs them today as much as they did back then. Discerning of Spirits Everything within the realm of knowledge, facts, events, purpose, motive, origin, destiny, human, divine, or satanic, natural or supernatural, past, present, or future, comes within the focal range of the word of wisdom, which is the greatest, the word of knowledge, second greatest, and the manifestation of discerning of spirits, third greatest of the revelation gifts. They include in their comprehensive scope all that God knows. There is nothing God knows that may not be made known to mankind as the Spirit wills through the operation of one or more of these three gifts. The word of wisdom gives us a revelation of the mind and purpose of God. Therefore, it is ranked first among the revelation gifts. The word of wisdom always deals with the future. The word of knowledge gives us a revelation of things present or past. The discerning of spirits gives us insight into the spirit world. It actually has a more limited range than the other revelation gifts because its revelation is limited to a single class of objects, spirit beings. Revelations that the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge bring are broader and apply to people, places, and things, whereas the discerning of spirits gives supernatural insight into only the realm of spirits. It is important to realize that the manifestation of discerning of spirits is not just the discerning of devils or evil spirits only. It is supernatural insight into the realm of spirits both good and bad. First of all, we see the discerning of the Godhead. God let Moses look into the spirit world on more than one occasion. One time, he told Moses that he was going to reveal his form to Moses in Exodus thirty-three eighteen. Then Moses said, Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is an example of Moses seen into the spirit realm. He is able to see the similitude or likeness of God Almighty. All through the word of God, we encounter people who in visions have been able to see the similitude of God. They did not see God, they saw the likeness of God the Father. As he was revealed, they were seen in the spirit world, like Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were fine. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, 
for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Through the discerning of spirits, or seen into the spirit realm, one may even discern the risen Christ. No one has actually seen him physically since his ascension and seating on high. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, where he always lives to intercede. For us, according to Hebrews 7.25, Through the manifestation of discerning of spirits, people have sometimes been able to see into the spirit realm and actually see Jesus Christ himself. John, in his vision on the Isle of Patmos, saw the Holy Spirit and sevenfold spirits of God before the throne of God. That simply means that John was seen into the spirit realm and seen seven aspects of the Spirit of God. You can read that in Isaiah 11.2. All such visions would be a manifestation of the gift of discerning of spirits. A vision might bring with it a word of wisdom and or a word of knowledge. But the vision itself would be a manifestation of discerning of spirits in operation, because a person would be at that time seen into the spirit world. To discern means to see. So a person is discerning or seeing into the realm of spirits. In the spirit world, there are both divine spirits and evil spirits. Discerning of spirits also means the discerning of cherubim, seraphim, archangels, the host of angels, or the discerning of Satan and his legions. It also refers to the discerning of human spirits, with its good or evil tendencies and motives of the heart. Now the discerning of spirits and its operation reveals the kind of spirit behind a supernatural manifestation, whether good or evil. An example of this is found in the Apostle Paul's ministry in Acts 16.16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. By the discerning of spirits, Paul knew that this young woman, who was following his group through the streets of Philippi, had a spirit of divination. When the manifestation of discerning of spirits was in operation, Paul turned to her and spoke directly to the spirit, commanding it to come out of her. Notice that Paul dealt with the spirit involved, not the person. As a result, the slave girl was set free so that her owners could no longer profit from her demon possession. Here are some more examples. An angel had appeared to Mary and angels had appeared to some shepherds in the field at night. These are classic examples of discerning of spirits, the ability to see into the spirit world. Luke one twenty six. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. In chapter 2, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Even in the Old Testament, there are countless examples of the manifestation of discerning of spirits in operation. My favorite example is when Elisha is in the city of Dothan of the land of Israel. At night, the army of Syria surrounded the unsuspecting city. 
in 2 Kings 6.15, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The spirit realm is more real than the natural realm, for it was through the spirit realm that this natural realm was created. As Christians, the more we mature in Christ, the more real the spirit realm becomes to us. As we grow up spiritually, our ability to function and operate in the kingdom of God becomes more and more instinctive to us, kind of second nature. However, to walk in the Spirit is to walk by faith, because our physical senses are unaware of what is happening behind the scenes. We know because of the revelation knowledge we have in the Word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. Supernatural manifestations in the realm in which we live originate from one of two sources, God or the devil. Many things which seem miraculous to us actually do not come from God. We must not forget that Satan is a supernatural being also. Too often, people are ready to follow anything supernatural, whether it is backed up by scripture or not. We can correctly identify a genuine manifestation of the Spirit of God if discerning of spirits is in operation. Through this manifestation, we can know the Spirit behind the operation. On the other hand, we can correctly identify the source of the manifestation even without having discerning of spirits in operation in our life. Since we know the Word of God and are walking in the Holy Spirit, we will have the inward witness that will lead us and distinguish true from false. 1 John 4.1 Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. As a result, some things will be revealed by the inward witness, which is available to all believers, and other times by the discerning of spirits, which is manifested as the Spirit of God wills. Here's a great rule of thumb. If what someone says or does brings attention to themselves and not to Jesus, such a demonstration does not originate from God. The Holy Spirit is only in the business of lifting up Jesus. John 16:13. Jesus said, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Now, discerning is not mind reading. Someone has said that the best way to find out what something is is to find out what it is not. So let us look at some things the manifestation of discerning of spirits is not. First, discerning of spirits is not discernment. Some people say, well, I have the gift of discernment. Actually, there is no such gift mentioned in the Bible. What they really have is a bad case of suspicion and prying into other people's business. Many times, what people call the gift of discernment is really the manifestation of the word of knowledge in operation. People know things by the Spirit of God and mistakenly call it the gift of discernment. Discerning of spirits is not a kind of spiritual mind reading, nor is it psychological insight 
mental penetration, or the power to discern the faults in others. Note, fault-finding is forbidden by the scripture. James 4.11 Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? One purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to destroy this critical attitude and amplify the fruit of our recreated human spirit, like gentleness. The manifestation of discerning of spirits is not a gift of fault-finding. If those who think they have this gift would just turn it on themselves for a few minutes, they would never use it again. The manifestation of discerning of spirits is not the discernment of character flaws. It is not the discerning of people in general. It is the discerning of spirits. The noted English Bible teacher Howard Carter, who wrote in Questions and Answers on Spiritual Gifts, said, The word of knowledge gives one a revelation of anything that can be classified as existing or having existed. So the fact of a spirit possessing a body could be revealed by this gift. But the one so informed would have no vision of the spirit. He would not discern it. By the discerning of spirits, we see beyond the sphere for which we have been created, since we are natural beings. It is only by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that we can perceive the beings that live in the spirit world. The Gift of Faith Having covered the three revelation gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits, we will now go to the three power gifts. The power gifts are classified as the gifts that do something, the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. 1 Corinthians 12.9 To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers. Remember that the gift of faith, like all the other manifestations of the Spirit, is supernatural. It is the greatest of the three gifts of power. It is a manifestation of the Spirit to believers so they might receive a miracle. The working of miracles is a manifestation of the Spirit given to believers so they might work a miracle. One gift receives, and the other gift does something. One gift is passive, it receives. The other gift is active, it works. In the King James Version translation of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12.10 puts it to another, the working of miracles. When a miracle operates through us, that's working a miracle. However, when we receive a miracle, we don't work it. That's the manifestation of special faith in operation. We also find that faith, like prayer, is often confused in some people's minds. We have a tendency to put all kinds of faith in the same sack, mix them up, and shake them all out together. Let's look at the different kinds of faith. First is faith from God's Word, Romans 10.17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, exercised in order to receive the promises of God in one's life. Second, there's the measure of faith, Romans 12.3, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Every new believer starts out with the same measure of faith. Over time, and feeding and acting upon the word of God, that measure will grow. Then there's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is faith. Faith is part of our very spiritual nature through the new birth. Then there's the gift of faith. 1 Corinthians 12.9 To another, faith by the same Spirit. 
a special manifestation or deposit of God's faith in our heart for a temporary period of time in order to receive or operate in a realm far beyond our current level of faith. So the gift of faith, or special faith because it's a unique form of faith, is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which is imparted after the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of God wills. Weymouth's translation puts it in 1 Corinthians 12.9 as, To a third man, by means of the same Spirit, special faith. So we can see that the gift of faith is not imparted to all, but only as the Spirit of God wills. Also, it is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit to receive a miracle. By the gift of faith, one does not work a miracle, but passively receives a miracle. One can supernaturally, and against all odds, believe God for a miracle, whether it be for supernatural protection, supernatural sustenance, the casting out of unclean spirits, the raising of the dead, or the impartation of supernatural manifestations, such as in the ministry of the laying on of hands or pronouncing a blessing. When the Holy Spirit manifests the gift of faith, the recipient is enabled to believe God in such a way that he honors their word as his own and miraculously brings it to pass. The gift of faith is a supernatural endowment by the Spirit whereby that which is uttered or desired by a person or spoken by God shall eventually come to pass. The human or divine utterance or miracle, assurance, curse, blessing, creation or destruction, removal or alteration will ultimately come when it has been spoken by this gift of faith. Remember, the working of miracles is more of an action and the gift of faith is more of a process. The manifestation of the working of miracles performs a miracle, whereas the gift of faith receives a miracle. This is because the working of miracles employs faith which actively works a miracle. But the gift of faith employs faith which passively expects or is able to receive and believe for a miracle. Also, when the gift of faith is in operation, the miracle that was believed for may not manifest immediately. It may manifest over a long period of time. For example, the gift of faith for supernatural blessings. We see the gift of faith was used by the patriarchs of old for direct supernatural blessings or fulfillment of human utterances. When these patriarchs were about to die, they would lay their hands on their sons and would command blessings upon them. Often these blessings did not come to pass until many years later. We see this in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. These patriarchs believed their pronouncements would come to pass at the appropriate time in the future. This was the gift of faith in operation. Another example is the gift of faith for personal protection. Daniel received a miracle while he was in the lion's den. In those days and throughout history, many others were thrown to the lions and they were killed. Why didn't these lions harm Daniel? The Bible says that Daniel believed in his God. There is no doubt that God gave Daniel special faith in order to receive deliverance. Daniel didn't do anything. He just laid down and went to sleep. Notice that Daniel's faith was passive rather than active, yet he received a miracle. This was a manifestation of special faith in operation. Let's read this account in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16 to 23. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. 
Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in God. In just the same manner, Jesus exercised the gift of faith in the face of great danger. During a raging storm, Jesus slept on a pillow in the back of the ship. This was the gift of faith in operation, which passively expects a miracle. Someone might argue, yes, but that was Jesus. He is the Son of God. However, we know that Jesus never did anything except by the power of the Holy Spirit during his earthly ministry. He stripped himself of the power he had as the Son of God. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and anointed him when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Jesus was just as much the Son of God before the Holy Spirit came upon him as he was afterwards. Yet the Bible tells us that he never worked any miracles prior to his baptism, John 2.11. When Jesus turned the water into wine, this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So according to the Gospels, Jesus ministered as any person would be anointed by the Holy Spirit would minister. If Jesus had worked miracles by some power inherent within himself as the Son of God, then he could not have told us that we would do the works that he did. However, Jesus told us in John 14:12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, unquote. However, if Jesus did these works as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, then certainly under the inspiration and anointing of the Holy Spirit, believers can do the same things today. While the storm swept across the sea, Jesus slept. He was not bothered by the storm. While hungry lions roamed about Daniel, he laid down and slept in the face of that danger. Throughout the Bible, we see such instances where the gift of faith worked for individuals in the face of great danger. They possessed a calmness which was supernatural, and by that supernatural faith they received a miracle. 1 Kings 17.2 Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Here we see an instance where the gift of faith was used for supernatural sustenance in the time of famine. Elijah's faith had to be given to him supernaturally by God, because it was beyond human reasoning to expect ravens to feed a human being. Nevertheless, ravens brought food to Elijah morning and evening. As a result, Elijah passively received a miracle through the manifestation of special faith. Note that the word of the Lord was God's special faith in operation through a spoken word. Isaiah 55.10 As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, 
so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Matthew 25.35 Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 5.18 Jesus said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Special faith is God's own faith in operation. It cannot fail. Let's now look at the gift of faith for raising the dead. Remember that spiritual gifts often work together in order to accomplish the task at hand. In the case of raising the dead, three gifts operate together. The gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. Perhaps this is one reason why we don't see too many people raised from the dead today. Some Christians may be used by the Holy Spirit through some of these manifestations, but not too many have all of them in operation through their life and ministry. First of all, in raising the dead, it takes special faith from God to call a person's spirit back when it has left the body. It then takes a working of miracles to raise the person by restoring decayed and dead tissue. Finally, it takes gifts of healings to remedy the original cause of death. Otherwise, if the person is not healed, he or she would immediately die again. According to Albert Hibbert, as many as 14 people were raised from the dead during Smith Wigglesworth's ministry. One case concerned a neighbor who had died just before Wigglesworth arrived at the man's home. Mrs. Wigglesworth was already there. As Wigglesworth began to pray for the dead man, Mrs. Wigglesworth shook her husband, pleading, Don't, Dad. Don't you see that he is dead? But Wigglesworth continued to pray. I got as far as I could with my own faith, Wigglesworth said, and then God got a hold of me. Oh, it was such a laying hold that I could believe for anything. The faith of the Lord Jesus laid hold of me, and a solid peace came into my heart. The man returned to life. This is beyond anyone's ordinary faith. It takes a supernatural manifestation of God's power to receive a miracle such as this. Many times, if we will just take a step of faith, ordinary faith, the faith every believer has, when we come to the end of our own faith, this special faith from God can take over. The reason this has not happened with a lot of people is because they have not used the faith they already have. We also see the gift of faith for casting out evil spirits. Special faith has been used on occasion to cast out unclean spirits from those whose bodies have been defiled by them. Here again, more than one gift must be in operation. The manifestation of discerning of spirits and or the word of knowledge will be in operation as well as special faith. If one does not discern or see the spirit, often the spirit is revealed through the word of knowledge. But special faith still will be exercised to cast the evil spirit. Of course, we know from Mark 16:17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. That as a believer... One can exercise faith in the Word in casting out evil spirits. So in some cases, manifestations of the Spirit are needed, Mark 9.29, but in most cases, we simply have to use the name of Jesus in faith to do the job. We have God-given authority through the name of Jesus in our own lives and our immediate family to exercise dominion over evil spirits, to bind and cast them out of our own lives. However, it is entirely a different matter when it comes to the lives of other people outside our immediate family. First of all, their own will must be in agreement. In other words, they must want deliverance for themselves. 
They must repent and forsake any sin or activities that may have been a part of what had gotten them into bondage. Finally, they need to get full of the Word and the Spirit of God in order to stay free. Acts 16.16 Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. May I suggest that Paul had probably experienced a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the area of discerning of spirits. So God works in both these ways. Number one, by our general faith in God's word, appropriating the promises of God and receiving his power that way. And number two, by a supernatural manifestation of God ministered from one person to another, which is the gift of faith in operation. The gift of working of miracles. What does the word miracle mean? Well, from a secular definition, it means anything that can be classified as amazing, extraordinary, or some phenomena. It is quite evident that business marketing departments have capitalized on the term miracle and have come up with all kinds of buzzwords like miracle drugs, miracle cleaners, the cleaner that gets even the toughest stains. Unfortunately, the word miracle has been reduced to common use in ordinary phrases as a quaint figure of speech. In nature, we might see a beautiful sunrise and say, that's a miracle of nature. Even Christians are found guilty of misusing and misapplying the term. Believers are found generalizing the word to such an extent that the answer for all our needs is simply belief for a miracle. However, from a biblical point of view, a miracle is a specific classification of events. From a biblical perspective, a miracle can be defined as a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature, a temporary suspension of the accustomed order through the Spirit of God. Certainly, in a general sense, all the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are miraculous. They are supernatural demonstrations of the Spirit. However, to specifically identify and classify an event in light of working of miracles, it needs to meet the criteria that we just mentioned. 1 Corinthians 12.10 and King James Version states, To another, the working of miracles. Working of miracles in the Old Testament was actually quite common. After Elijah ascended to heaven in a chariot in a whirlwind, Elisha received his mantle and struck the Jordan River with it, dividing the waters by a sweep of his mantle in an example of working of miracles in operation an intervention in the ordinary course of nature. Let's look at that very event in 2 Kings 2.9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, Suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, and Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. 
A miracle, therefore, is a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature, a temporary suspension of the custom order, an interruption of the system of nature as we know it, operated by the power of the Spirit of God. For example, if a person had a broken arm and was instantly healed through prayer, that would not be a miracle, since it is a restoration or healing of damaged or existing tissue or bone. However, if a person was born with no legs, and through prayer, brand new legs instantly grew out from the stubs, that is a manifestation of working of miracles, not of healing, since this person received a body part that was formerly missing entirely. When a person is afflicted with a disease or suffered damaged tissue from an accident, and the natural healing process is sped up or instantly attained, that person received a healing from God. I trust that the difference between a person receiving a healing versus receiving a miracle in their body has been clearly defined. Nonetheless, when God moves, it is always wonderful and miraculous. John 10.38 Jesus said, But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It seems that the working of miracles was more prominent in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. Although people were healed and gifts of healings were in operation in the Old Testament, gifts of healing were more prevalent in the New Testament. The working of miracles was used for the miraculous deliverance of God's people from Egyptian bondage. We see this gift used when God convinced Pharaoh to let Israel go. A number of miracles were wrought there. When Aaron threw down his rod and it was turned into a serpent, that was a miracle. However, God did not stop there. In Exodus chapter 7 verse 8, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Coming out of Egypt, the Israelites faced the Red Sea with Pharaoh and his host close behind ready to make them slaves again. Mountains loomed on one side, the wilderness was on the other, the sea was in front of them, and the enemy was behind them. Their situation seemed hopeless. But Moses looked to the Lord, and the Lord told him to stretch forth his rod. Moses obeyed, and the sea divided. That was the working of a miracle, a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature. Actually, two gifts of the Holy Spirit were in operation in this instance. The working of miracles divided the sea, but it took the gift of faith to keep it divided. That was a continual miracle. The people walked over dry land to the other side. When the enemy attempted to do the same, the waters came together and the Egyptians were drowned. Clearly, there are a number of miracles in the New Testament as well. We see the working of miracles all throughout the ministry of Jesus. For example, when Jesus turned the water into wine at a wedding in Cana in Galilee, a supernatural intervention was in manifestation. In John chapter 2 verse 1, on the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples 
had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now here's another example in John chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not be enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about five thousand of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now the Christians in the early church had everything in common. They sold all their possessions and brought the money to the apostles. Evidently, they had some promptings of the Holy Spirit to do this, and it proved to be a wise move, because in 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem was overrun by the Romans, and they would have lost everything they had owned anyway. When Ananias and Sapphira sold their land, they kept back part of the money they had received. Now, it would have been perfectly all right for them to have said, this is half of the money. God didn't require them to give it all, but they lied about it. However, Peter knew through the gift of the word of knowledge how much Ananias was keeping back. He said, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Then Ananias fell down dead, divine judgment through the working of miracles. When Sapphira came in later, not knowing that her husband was dead, She repeated the lie, and she too fell dead. The working of miracles was again used to carry out divine discipline. Acts 5.1 Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself? Some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. The working of miracles was also used to confirm the word that was preached. When Paul was preaching in Cyprus, Elymas the sorcerer withstood him. Paul, through the power of God in the operation of the gift of working of miracles, struck him blind for a season, 
and that was a sign to others. Acts chapter 3 verse 4. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Patmos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. This gift was also used to deliver people from unavoidable danger. The manifestation of special faith will carry a person through the danger without being harmed at all, but the working of miracles is different. It will actually change the circumstances, causing the danger. For example, when Paul was shipwrecked, the storm did not cease until it blew itself out in Acts chapter 27. Paul didn't stand up and say, Storm, you stop. Since God had spoken to him, he had a supernatural faith to believe for divine protection. That was the gift of faith in operation, and he received safety for every person on that ship, although the ship was lost. However, when Jesus stood on that ship during a storm on the Sea of Galilee and said, Peace be still, in Mark 4.39, he worked a miracle. That changed the very circumstance causing the danger. Remember the difference between the gift of special faith and the working of miracles? Is that special faith receives a miracle, and the working of miracles works a miracle. The working of miracles is used to display God's power and magnificence. In Young's Analytical Concordance of the Bible, the Greek word used for miracles is powers. In other words, the working of miracles is also called the working of powers. The Greek word, according to the Greek concordance, means explosions of almightiness. It means impelling, staggering wonders and astonishment. In other words, the Greek could read the working of impelling, staggering wonders or astonishments, or the outworking of explosions of almightiness. In his book, Questions and Answers on Spiritual Gifts, Howard Carter said, The working of miracles is very important manifestation of the Spirit. It is the mighty power of God flowing through a person. We might say the individual participates in the same power of God that was in manifestation when God created the world, because he surely worked a miracle when he spoke the earth into existence. When the Lord permits an individual through the power of the Spirit to speak words and a river is divided, the same God who created those waters lets a little bit of that omnipotence, as the Spirit wills, to be manifested in that person. This working of miracles is indeed a mighty gift glorifying the God of all power, as Howard Carter said, thus stimulating the faith of his people and astonishing and confusing the unbelief of the world. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received as just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? 
This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Mark 16.20 Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So remember, the gift of special faith receives a miracle, and the working of miracles works a miracle. The Gifts of Healings The manifestation of the gifts of healings are given by God for the supernatural healing of disease without natural means from any source. Every one of the nine manifestations of the Spirit are supernatural occurrences. These manifestations are demonstrations of the power of God, not of people. Therefore, to suggest that gifts of healings can be associated with medical science is pure error. Don't get me wrong, medical science has done a lot to ease the suffering of human beings. However, it is important to clarify a point here. Doctors do not heal. Only God can heal, either directly or indirectly through the wonders of the natural restoration within the human body. If I was to get a cut on my finger, God so wonderfully designed my body to heal itself. Yet when I place a band-aid over the cut, I do so in order to speed the healing process that is already resident within my body. The band-aid protects the open wound, preventing infection but it is not the source of my healing. Doctors and the wonders of modern medical science is like a sophisticated band-aid that assists the body in healing itself faster. As much as I appreciate what doctors do, a lot of people place doctors and medical science on a pedestal as objects of worship. Personally, I believe a lot of doctors have been inspired by God in their understanding of the human body. If it is good, it is from God anyways. God is a creative God, and every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Since God is the creator, he is also the healer. He knows what our bodies need more than anybody. Since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, our physical bodies have taken the brunt of the original sin. The average human brain functions at less than 10% capacity. Our physical bodies begin to die and decay from the beginning of birth. Through sin, death has entered into the human race. Death has manifested itself through all the various sicknesses, diseases, and deformities of the world. The devil has taken God's perfect creation and has perverted and twisted the image of God, mankind. Romans 8.18 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. Now thank God for all the good Christian physicians who have the interests of their patients at heart and minister skillfully to them. But supernatural healing comes not by diagnosis or by prescribed treatment. It comes by the laying on of hands, anointing with oil, or sometimes just by speaking the word. I believe in natural remedies for healing, and I thank God for it. But I also believe in supernatural healing. Sickness and disease is the work of Satan. Through sin, the devil has a legal right to oppress people with his handiwork of sickness and disease. 
Therefore, both sickness and healing has a spiritual root that manifests itself in the natural body. Sin brings sickness and righteousness brings healing. As a result, Christians are given a birthright of divine healing and health since Christ's righteousness cancels Satan's dominion to oppress our bodies with his sickness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Acts 10.38 How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Healing is really spiritual warfare. It is God destroying Satan's work in our bodies, either a direct evil spirit of infirmity or indirectly due to the fall of mankind. All sickness, even in its smallest states, is a form of death. A regular cold can lead to the flu and then pneumonia and finally physical death. We should hate and despise sickness and disease as we do the devil himself, for they are synonymous. Therefore, healing from God is supernatural love and compassion for hurting humanity. During the ministry of Jesus, he primarily healed unbelievers, folks who were not saved yet at the time. How much more, through the articles of the New Covenant, does healing belong to God's children? It is our birthright. Yet so many Christians suffer at Satan's hands when we have already been delivered. Hebrews 2.14 Since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. God's primary avenue for our healing today comes through faith in Christ's redemptive work that was wrought 2,000 years ago. Through simple faith in God's promises that we can see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, in 1 Peter 2.24, Matthew 8.17, and Galatians 3.13, we can receive our own healing from anything the devil throws at us. However, I do not have time in this episode to explain, so see my other episode in the series on Faith That Moves Mountains for more information on how to exercise faith. Now, the reason why folks fail to receive their healing is because of a lack of faith primarily, or it could be because of ignorance, or a lack of knowledge, or it could be disobedience. Since there will always be unbelievers, baby Christians, and mountains that are beyond our current faith level to move, we will need God's gifts of healings to manifest in our lives. You can receive healing for yourself through faith in God's word or for someone laying hands on you. Mark 16:18, part of the Great Commission. Gifts of healings is a specific manifestation of the Holy Spirit. All the healing is done by God, of course. But the difference is that the channel he uses to accomplish the healing. In the ministry of Jesus, as we already read, let's read this again, Acts 10:38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus had ministered on the earth, not as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was just as much the Son of God when he was 25 as when he was 30 years old. Yet at 25, he had not healed anyone, and not one miracle of healing had been wrought under his ministry. He was just as much the Son of God when he was 29 and when he was 30. Yet throughout his 29th year, no one was healed, nor had he performed one miracle of healing. When Jesus was 30, even on the day before he was baptized by John in the river Jordan and the Holy Spirit descended on him to anoint him to minister, Jesus was just as much the Son of God as he was afterwards. Yet until John's baptism, he had never healed anyone. There is no record of it in the scriptures. 
there was no manifestation of power operating in his life. It was only after the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove to anoint him to minister that these things began to occur. In fact, Jesus himself never claimed to do the works. He said, It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. According to John 14.10, Jesus stood up and read in his hometown synagogue, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. In Luke 4.18. Philippians 2 verse 6 who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Although Jesus was always the Son of God, he never healed anyone until after he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. This should prove conclusively that he wasn't healing by some power which was inherent in him as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, but that he was healing the sick just as any believer would minister to the sick today by the anointing of the Holy Spirit through the manifestation of the gifts of healings. This is why Jesus could say concerning us today in John fourteen twelve, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now the scriptures do tell us that Jesus Christ had the Holy Spirit without measure in John three thirty four. For the one whom God had sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. On the earth, Jesus was the body of Christ, so he had all of the Holy Spirit upon him on one person at that one time. When he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came upon all believers, which forms the body of Christ on the earth today. Therefore, we would see a frequency of manifestations of the Spirit in his ministry which we wouldn't see in anyone else, because he had the Holy Spirit without measure. No other individual does. However, it seems to me this text infers that the entire body of Christ collectively has the same measure of the Spirit which Jesus had. Consequently, an individual believer would not have the same measure of success in ministering even the gifts of healings which Jesus had because he had the Holy Spirit without measure. And having the Spirit without measure, Jesus would have the manifestations of all these gifts of healings operating through him. 1 Corinthians 12.28 And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Notice that in verse 28, Both the words gifts and healings are plural. This is the way it should be in every one of these verses, for this is the way it is in the Greek. Notice too, this is the only one of the gifts of the Spirit which is in the plural. All the other gifts refer to one gift. So why are the gifts of healings and not the gift of healing? I really don't know, but I have my opinion. I don't think any of us could know for certainty, because the scriptures don't tell us specifically, but I think there are gifts of healings because there are different kinds of diseases, and one gift wouldn't heal all kinds. I've noticed in the ministries of others that when these gifts are in operation, there is a greater degree of success in some areas of healing than in others. For some ministers, there are certain kinds of diseases which are seldom healed in their ministries, yet certain other diseases are nearly always healed. Why? I don't know. Perhaps in the process of time, we will know more about this, for we are here to study and learn. 
In the earthly ministry of Jesus, every manner of sickness and every manner of disease was healed. All the gifts of healings were in manifestation, because Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure upon him. The Gift of Prophecy Prophecy is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon a believer in the form of supernatural utterance in a known tongue. Prophecy is the most important of the three gifts of inspiration or utterance. The reason it is the most important is because it takes the other two diverse kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues to equal prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.5 I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. This scripture supports the principle that tongues with interpretation is equivalent to prophecy. Therefore, prophecy is really the most important of the three gifts of inspiration or utterance. Prophecy is a supernatural utterance in a known tongue. Diverse kinds of tongues is a supernatural utterance in an unknown tongue. Interpretation of tongues is a supernatural showing forth of that which has been said in tongues. The Hebrew word that is translated to prophesy means to flow forth. It carries the thought of to bubble forth like a fountain, to let drop, to lift up to tumble forth, and to spring forth. The Greek word that is translated to prophesy means to speak for another. It means to speak for God or to be his spokesperson. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. We need to realize that the context in which this letter was written, Paul was writing to the believers at the church of Corinth. Therefore, prophecy is more applicable when a congregation of people are assembled. Since the gift of prophecy speaks in a known tongue, everyone immediately understands the message. The Apostle Paul was not belittling tongues and interpretation. He was simply pointing out by the Spirit of God the proper use of these gifts and the context. 1 Corinthians 14.6 and verse 12 Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbeliever comes in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. I believe that the gift of prophecy requires more faith to operate, since we are speaking in regards to revelation of secret matters, unless the gift of interpretation unlocks understanding to the message in other tongues. 1 Corinthians 13.2 If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, Remember that prophecy by definition is an inspired utterance in a known tongue and speaks to men and women for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Other manifestations of the Spirit, such as the word of wisdom, which foretells future events, or the word of knowledge, 
reveals past and current events, could be carried and vocalized through the vehicle of prophecy that in the end results in people being edified. God has given his children an invitation in 1 Corinthians 12.1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. If it is the Father's will that we be fully aware and versed in regards to the manifestation and operation of spiritual gifts, yet our Father God does not stop there. He has also given us an invitation to see them operate in our own lives to bless others. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. What would happen if we did not eagerly desire spiritual gifts to manifest in our midst? We have a part to play in what God does in the earth. Jesus has given us a key to how the kingdom of God operates in Matthew 5.6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. James 4.8 says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Matthew 11.12 states, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful people lay hold of it. The scriptures are clear. God is waiting on us to release our faith through prayer and ask him to manifest himself in our midst. 1 Corinthians 4.20 For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, according to Hebrews 11.6. I have always been intrigued in the language that the Bible uses when it comes to the operation of spiritual gifts. On the one hand, concerning spiritual gifts, it is stated in 1 Corinthians 12.11, All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. These spiritual gifts are distinct manifestations of the Holy Spirit's power as he wills. Yet in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, it states, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Yet the operation of spiritual gifts is influenced by believers eagerly desiring, excelling in, and praying for spiritual gifts to operate in their lives and their local church. As a result, it is always as the Spirit wills that He manifests Himself. But God has given us an invitation to ask Him to use us more and more. Let's now look at the gift of prophecy and the prophet's ministry. The simple gift of prophecy should not be confused with the office of a prophet. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men and women for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Thus we can readily see that in the simple gift of prophecy, there is no revelation. In the office of a prophet, however, we often find revelation coming forth, even by prophecy. It is also interesting to note the difference between prophecy in the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, prophecy is essentially foretelling future events, whereas in the New Testament, it shifts strongly to forthtelling. In the simple gift of prophecy, there is no foretelling whatsoever. Notice that Paul is telling the whole church at Corinth to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Yet Paul had just gotten through telling them in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 28, that God has set in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, and then third teachers. Then Paul asked, are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets? Well, no, they couldn't be. If prophesying made us a prophet, then Paul would be contradicting himself. However, the fact that we have prophesied doesn't make us a prophet, 
it means that we have exercised the simple gift of prophecy, which is available to all spirit-filled believers. For example, a rich man or woman has money. All of us have at least some money, but that doesn't make us rich. By the same token, a prophet would prophesy, but one who prophesies wouldn't necessarily be a prophet. A prophet, for example, would have more of the gifts of the Spirit in operation than just the gift of prophecy. Prophets would have revelation gifts like the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits operating along with prophecy. Note that a prophet is a fivefold ministry gift according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Then in verse 30 he said, And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Here he is talking about revelation. The prophet would have these other revelation gifts operating. Thus, to stand in the office of the prophet, a person must have operating in his or her ministry the gift of prophecy plus at least two of the revelation gifts, either the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge, and or the gift of discerning of spirits. Therefore, we should not confuse the office of the prophet with the simple gift of prophecy, which all believers are told to eagerly desire to operate through them. All can operate through the gift of prophecy, because God wouldn't have told us to eagerly desire something that wasn't available to all of us. All can prophesy, but we can't all be prophets. Acts 21.8 Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, and staying at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. Did you notice that all four of Philip's daughters had this simple gift of prophecy? These young women must have prophesied in the services held in their house, Otherwise, Paul and his company would not have known that they prophesied. They spoke to the whole company to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Evidently, they never prophesied to Paul. When the prophet Agabus came, however, he had something on a higher order which brought forth revelation through the manifestation of a word of wisdom concerning a future event. Therefore, we see that prophet may prophesy, but the message he or she brings may not be prophesying at all. It may come through the gift of prophecy, as he or she speaks, what they have received from the Lord. In Acts 21.10, it was one of the revelation gifts, the word of wisdom, that was in operation through the gift of prophecy. Some think that to prophesy means to preach. All inspired utterance in a known tongue is prophecy in some form or another. But prophecy isn't preaching. Sometimes there's an element of prophecy in preaching when one is anointed by the Holy Spirit and is inspired to say things which come from the heart rather than the head. But that is only one phase of the operation of the gift of prophecy. To preach means to proclaim, announce, to cry out, or to tell. The scriptural purpose of the gift of prophecy is different from the purpose of preaching. Jesus didn't say that men and women would be saved by the foolishness of prophesying, but by the foolishness of preaching. Supernatural gifts are given to arrest people's attention, not to save them. Even on the day of Pentecost, when people were talking in tongues, no one got saved until Peter stood up and preached the gospel to them. Now there is a misuse of this gift. 
of prophecy. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 states, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Another area of confusion regarding the gift of prophecy is caused by the misuse of this gift. The church at Thessalonica had so much misuse of the gift of prophecy, they almost despised it. Therefore, Paul, writing by the Spirit of God, had to say to them, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. If people would use this gift as the scripture teaches, it would be a great blessing. But some hear a minister who has the prophet's ministry bring forth revelation, and they think that they can do that too. So they try to bring forth some foretelling instead of just forthtelling, and they get into trouble. As we saw, the gift of prophecy is given to edify the church. 1 Corinthians 14.3 But everyone who prophesies speaks to men and women for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. This gift is also given to edify the church. The word edify here means in the Greek, a calling nearer to God. Then our text says the gift of prophecy is given to comfort. A lot of what some people call prophecy never comforts anyone. Rather, it discomforts them. The gift of prophecy, like tongues, has to do with more than just the public utterance. Prophecy can be used in our prayer life. Many times when we're in prayer, God fills us with the Spirit and we speak by the Spirit and speak in tongues. Speaking with tongues is the beginning of these things. But God wants every Spirit-filled believer to do more than just speak with tongues. He wants us to be able to interpret. He wants us to prophesy. Paul didn't infer that just a few believers would speak with tongues. He encouraged the entire church at Corinth to pray in tongues and worship God. Then he said in 1 Corinthians 14.13, For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he or she may interpret what they say. God wouldn't tell us to pray for something we couldn't have. And he also wants us to prophesy, because he plainly said in 1 Corinthians 14.1, Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Through the gift of prophecy, we can speak supernaturally not only unto people, but also unto God. Through prophecy, we can enjoy fellowship with God in the Spirit, which is beyond anything we have known before. The Gift of Tongues The manifestation of the Spirit of God which gives the Spirit-filled believer the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12.10 is not to be confused with the devotional gift of speaking in other tongues for personal edification, which is the initial sign of being baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire according to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Sadly, many Christian denominations make this very mistake, not differentiating the separate work of the Spirit in the life of the believer, the Spirit within and the Spirit upon. Isaiah twenty-eight eleven. Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the resting place, let the weary rest, and this is the place of repose. But they would not listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbeliever comes in, would they not say that you are all out of your mind? The ministry use or manifestation of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12.10 is meant to be interpreted in a known tongue in order for yourself and others to be edified. This manifestation 
is exercised as the Spirit wills. However, praying in the Spirit or in other tongues is for personal devotions, a communication line between us and God. God had prophesied in the Old Testament that he would pour out his Spirit in Joel 2.28, and afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So there is a personal side to tongues as a devotional gift for the individual. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 2.1 When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 2.33 Jesus exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the newly born again believers in the upper room, about 120 of them. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through 4. This event marked the birth of the church and the dispensation of grace that we are currently living in today. Upon being filled with the Spirit, over 3,000 people were saved. Acts chapter 2.41 When a believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit, the initial sign is the ability to speak in a heavenly language, a language of the heart. The Spirit of God gives the believer utterance to speak. The believer, with an act of their free will, speak in other tongues as often as he or she wants for personal edification and refreshing. Acts 3.19 the baptism in the Holy Spirit results in having power to be a witness, according to Acts 1.8, to speak the word of God with boldness, Acts 4.31, an increased prayer life, Ephesians 6.18, and a tremendous avenue for personal edification. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men and women for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Jude 1.20 But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Howard Carter said, We must not forget that the speaking with other tongues is not only an initial evidence of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, it is a continual experience for the rest of his or her life to assist in the worship of God. It is a flowing stream that should never dry up, that will enrich the life spiritually. We need to remember that the Apostle Paul had said in 1 Corinthians 14.18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. The devotional gift of speaking in other tongues for spirit-filled believers is meant to be an active part 
of our Christian experience. Remember, diverse kinds of tongues is supernatural utterance by the Holy Spirit in languages never learned by the speaker, not understood by the mind of the speaker, nor necessarily always understood by the hearer. Speaking with tongues has nothing whatsoever to do with linguistic ability. It has nothing to do with the mind or the intellect of a person. It is a vocal miracle. The gift of tongues is more prominent of the three vocal gifts, or as they are sometimes called, gifts of utterance or inspiration. The gift of prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. However, this doesn't necessarily mean the gift of tongues is the best, but it is the most prominent for several reasons. 1 Corinthians 14.18 I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It seems to me that Paul was saying that he never used devotional tongues publicly or in church. Tongues is not a teaching gift or a preaching gift. This is not its purpose. If I were to speak in tongues in the pulpit for an hour instead of teaching, it wouldn't edify the congregation at all. It would edify me, but not the hearers. Therefore, it is more profitable that I teach in a known tongue in the church. However, Paul was not belittling tongues. Rather, he was simply making a distinction between the private and public use of the gift of tongues. Remember what 1 Corinthians 14.13 says, For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he or she may interpret what is said. Now, a question often asked by some of our denominational friends is, Why do you full gospel people give such prominence to tongues? The answer is, we do not. There are a number of reasons why it seems that we do. We are often asked about tongues and we are therefore compelled to discuss the subject. Speaking in tongues is always manifested when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Utterance in tongues in a public assembly is the least of the gifts, and is therefore the most widely distributed and the most frequently used gift. Number four, the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues are distinctive to this dispensation. We see all the other gifts of the Spirit, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, special faith, working of miracles, gifts of healing and prophecy in operation in the Old Testament. In the ministry of Jesus, we see all the gifts of the Spirit in operation except tongues and interpretation. The gifts of speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues are distinctive to the dispensation of grace in which we live in today. Therefore, they are more in use. And finally, in point number five, Paul himself, the apostle, gave prominence to tongues. The reason he did was because then, as now, speaking with tongues was widely misunderstood. Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, And these signs will accompany those who believe. They will speak in new tongues. One preacher endeavoring to explain this said, This just means that a fellow who used to curse and tell lies and vulgar jokes doesn't do that anymore. He speaks with a new tongue. This argument, however, is a little thin. Because in reading the entire passage, we see that every one of the signs mentioned here by Jesus is a supernatural sign. Let's read that, Mark 16, 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. 
No thinking person would doubt that if four of these signs are supernatural, surely the fifth would be too. Therefore, one reason we speak in tongues is because Jesus said this is a sign which will follow believers. It is the scriptural evidence, that is, it is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One preacher disagreed with this saying, John the Baptist was full of the Holy Ghost and he didn't speak with tongues. Prophets of the Old Testament had the Holy Ghost, but they never spoke in tongues either. I replied, yes, but we are not living under the Old Covenant. What happened back then is an example for us now. We desire the Holy Spirit in operation in our lives according to the dispensation which we live in. Besides, they did not have the Holy Spirit within them. They were not born again, like we are in this dispensation. Therefore, we have to start with Acts of the Apostles. We can't go back to the Old Covenant because we're not living there anymore. John the Baptist was a prophet under the Old Covenant. Jesus himself said concerning John in Matthew 11.11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In this dispensation, we have a better covenant, established on better promises, according to Hebrews 8.6, and particularly in the area of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives and through our lives for God's glory. Let's now look at tongues and public ministry. Paul was teaching that only a few believers would be used in what we would call the public ministry of tongues, because he said in 1 Corinthians 12.30, do all speak with tongues. Some take that out of context and say, speaking in tongues isn't for everyone. For example, they would say, well, you can be filled with the Spirit without speaking with tongues. However, we must remember that Paul is talking about the ministry gift of tongues here because he began by saying in 1 Corinthians 12.28, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary, prophets, thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. Then Paul asked, Are all apostles? No, we can't all be apostles. Are all prophets? No, not everybody is a prophet. Are all teachers? Again, this is a rhetorical question. No. Are all workers of miracles? Have all gifts of healings? No, they do not. Do all speak with tongues? And he's talking about ministry tongues in a church setting. The obvious answer is no. But Paul is talking here about public ministry. We should not be too concerned about our ministering in tongues and interpreting. We should be primarily concerned with maintaining tongues in the place where they principally belong as a devotional gift to assist us in the worship of God. God will use some people in public utterance in tongues, but that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit as He wills. This is the mistake the Corinthian believers were making and one that we often make as well. Discussing public ministry in tongues, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.27, If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. In the Greek, the words two or three are personal pronouns and refer to people. Paul was simply saying that no more than two or three people should speak in a service. In the next verse, he said, let the prophets speak two or three. There may be more prophets present who could speak, but in any one service, only two or three of them should speak. This order in the service is a guideline and will prevent confusion from having too much information. We need to be very careful to walk softly before the Lord. We need to remain open to Him as we walk quietly, honorably, and reverently about spiritual matters. 
we need to invite the operation of the Holy Spirit of God among us. The Interpretation of Tongues Our study of the gifts of the Holy Spirit has now brought us to the end of the list, the gift of interpretation of tongues. We first covered the three gifts of revelation, or the gifts that reveal something, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Then we studied the three gifts that do something, or they often are called the three power gifts, the gift of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. Finally, we studied the three vocal gifts, or the three inspirational gifts, the three gifts which say something, prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. As we have said, prophecy is supernatural utterance in a known tongue. Diverse kinds of tongues is supernatural utterance in an unknown tongue. The interpretation of tongues is the supernatural showing forth by the Holy Spirit the meaning of an utterance in other tongues. It is not translation of the tongues. It is the interpretation of tongues. In other words, the meaning. The gift of interpretation of tongues is the least of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit because it is dependent upon another gift in order to operate. It does not operate unless the gift of tongues has been in operation first. The purpose of this gift of interpretation of tongues is to render the gift of tongues intelligible to the hearers so that the church, as well as the possessor of the gift, may know what has been said and may be edified. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.5, He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. But someone may ask, But can't God speak to us in some other way? Yes, he can and does. We have messages which are not an interpretation of tongues. They are a manifestation of the gift of prophecy. All these gifts operate by faith. But it takes more faith to prophesy than to give an utterance in tongues or interpretation of tongues because those who operate in these gifts have another person to lean on. In other words, the person with the gift of tongues can lean on the one with the gift of interpretation of tongues, and vice versa. However, the person who has the gift of prophecy has to have enough faith just to start speaking what he or she has received from the Lord. Now, I had said this already, but remember, interpretation is not translation. As we have noted, the interpretation of tongues is not the translation of those tongues. Oftentimes, people wonder why it is that when someone speaks at length in tongues, an interpreter will occasionally give only a short interpretation, because interpretation is simply showing forth supernaturally by the Spirit of God the meaning of what was said in tongues. The interpretation may not require as many words as the original message. Similarly, someone may give a short utterance in tongues, yet the interpretation may be lengthy. The same principle of clarity is involved. It may take longer to give the interpretation in order to clearly show forth the meaning of the message. If the person who is interpreting tongues is also used in prophecy, he or she may finish the interpretation and go on into prophecy. Most people who are keen in the Spirit can readily recognize the difference because the instant one speaks forth prophecy, his or her words take on more authority and a greater anointing. There is more inspiration and a greater blessing to prophecy. Now we can interpret the tongues in our private prayer life. 1 Corinthians 14.13 For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. So according to verse 13, 
those who speak in other tongues are instructed to pray for the gift of interpretation. The reason Paul instructs us to seek this gift is not necessarily that we may interpret publicly, but rather that we may interpret our private prayers, if God so wills. You see, knowing what we are praying would greatly edify spiritually. And if God wished to use us publicly to interpret messages in tongues, that would be an added blessing. May I suggest that a great way to start interpreting tongues would be in our own private prayer lives. Someday, you may suddenly realize that what you are speaking in your known tongue is what you have been praying about in other tongues. It would be the interpretation of it. Of course, God knows what we are praying about in tongues because we are talking to Him. But sometimes He wants us to know what we are praying about too. However, it is not necessary that everything we utter in other tongues in private prayer should be made clear to our understanding through interpretation. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Furthermore, we aren't talking to ourselves, we're talking to God. What we are praying is clear to Him, and that is sufficient. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him, He uttered mysteries with his spirit. So we can see that in a private side to this gift of interpretation of tongues, that can be very important to us personally. And there's a public side to the manifestation of this gift as well. But not all of us will be used publicly. It is only as the Lord wills. So let's now look at interpretation and public ministry. In the 27th verse of this same chapter, Paul said, If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. Only three people should minister in tongues in a public service at one time. The words two or three in the Greek are personal pronouns. Some have asked, does that refer to three messages? Actually, we do not find the expression message in tongues anywhere in the Bible. This is just a phrase which has been coined to try to explain it. A better term would be utterance in tongues. However, this verse is talking about people not messages or utterances. Paul didn't actually say how long people should or should not speak in tongues. He just said to let two or three speak, and let it be by course or in turn. This implies they shouldn't all speak at once. May I suggest that it implies that an individual may speak more than once. The scriptures seem to make the point quite clear that if three people have already spoken publicly in tongues, a fourth should not join in no matter how strong he or she may feel compelled of their spirit to speak. If something else needs to be said, one of those who have already spoken should utter it. That maintains good order. Notice Paul said, let one interpret. There is nothing in the scriptures which would do away with the thought that one person may speak in tongues and interpret for himself or herself. In fact, one of those giving an utterance in tongues publicly may interpret that utterance, even though there might be more than one person who could interpret it. Paul is admonishing us that we are not to have competitive interpretations. So there is nothing unscriptural with giving an utterance in tongues and interpreting it oneself, as long as there is only one interpreter. The interpretation of tongues is the supernatural showing forth by the Holy Spirit the meaning of an utterance in other tongues. So things need to be done decently and in order. Paul devotes the entire 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians to the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. Then he goes on to state in verse 33 in the King James Version, God is not the author of confusion, 
Paul means that in the use or misuse of prophecy, tongues, and interpretation, there is sometimes confusion. Unfortunately, countless Christians have been in services where the misuse of these gifts had occurred and have gone home confused. Ministers should not allow this to happen in their services. Instead, they should try to point out any errors and explain them to the people so they won't go home confused. This does not mean that the devil was working in those services. It just means that people can get things mixed up. If we learn to stay in the Spirit, walk according to the Word, and follow Paul's admonition, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way, according to 1 Corinthians 14.40, we will not have confusion in our services. Sometimes we just need practical advice concerning these manifestations to help us maintain good order in our services. Then even visitors could understand and be impressed by our good order. More important, we would not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He has been grieved at times in some churches, grieved by wanting to manifest himself and not being permitted to do so, and grieved by the way some people do things out of order. When someone is uttering a message in tongues, a person who is used in the gift of interpretation should immediately begin to be in tune with the Holy Spirit if they are not already, because the Lord may want to use them in the operation of that gift. Sometimes a believer may have waited for someone else to interpret, and they have waited for someone else as well. Any one of them could have interpreted the message in tongues, but they all lost it because they did not stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. We will not get things from God unless we are in tune to Him. This is the reason why we sometimes don't have an interpretation of an utterance. When you have missed it, simply say to the person who gave the message in tongues, please give that again and I'll interpret it. You will find that when they start speaking, you will get in the Spirit and God will give you the interpretation. A final point I want to stress about tongues and interpretation is found in 1 Corinthians 14.26. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. When something is done in the Holy Spirit, and this is the one way to judge if it is in the Spirit, it will be edifying, inspiring, and it will be a blessing. Note, of course, if we are out of tune with the Spirit, we are not in a position to judge. Manifestations of spiritual gifts do need to be judged. However, after all, we do judge them, whether we do it publicly or not, because we either accept or reject them. We can't always accept just any person's judgment. However, only the judgment of those who are sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Remember that all of the nine manifestations and gifts of the Holy Spirit, they all operate by faith. They do not operate by the gift of special faith, they operate by common or general faith. Mark 9.23 Jesus said, Everything is possible for him who believes. If you believe, all things are possible for you. In summary, the nine gifts or manifestations of the Holy Spirit are in full operation throughout the earth today. According to his will, they are worked through the body of Jesus Christ to bless the world by confirming the gospel and ministering to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything within the realm of knowledge, facts, events, purpose, motive, origin, destiny, human, divine, or satanic, natural or supernatural, past, present, or future, comes within the focal range of the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the manifestation of discerning of spirits. Next are the power gifts, working of miracles, gifts of healings, and special faith. Finally, the last three are the utterance gifts, prophecy diverse tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. All of these operate as the Spirit of God wills. 
Every act of the Godhead can be classified under one of these nine manifestations of the Spirit of God. God bless. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life Study Series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.